You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And he's probably thinking, as he's all alone, by the way, will I ever see my family again? Will I ever be able to come home again? Listen, I suppose that no one ever felt more alone and apprehensive than Jacob did that night. But the truth of the matter was, he was not alone. You see, God was with him. And God was about to reveal himself to him. Think back to one of the most darkest, loneliest, and even hopeless moments that you've experienced in life. Now, whether you were a believer during that time, chances are you can say with confidence that even in the darkest time, God was with you. In today's message, Pastor Mike discusses the presence of God in our lives, even when we feel like He's nowhere to be found. In his study, you'll learn about the time in Jacob's life where he felt utter despair, only to be met by God, who revealed himself to him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 27, as he begins his message, God's Ladder. Now we're in Genesis chapter 28, and the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 10 through 19, and this message, the title is God's Ladder, God's Ladder. So why don't you turn there with me, Genesis chapter 28, but before we go ahead and read that text of scripture, I think that I need to set this message up for you by going back and returning to the preceding chapter particularly for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, or if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks. This will set the platform for this study. So let's begin, rather, in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 41, and then we'll go ahead and get into our text. But let's read this first. So Genesis chapter 27 and verse 41. So Esau hated his brother Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. That's the patriarchal blessing. And uh, we talked about what was involved with that, what that looked like. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. That was mom. That was uh, both Jacob and Esau's mom. 
And so she sent and called Jacob. Remember, Jacob was her favorite son. And said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days. Oh, little did she realize that those few days would actually turn into 20 years until your brother's fury turns away. Now, if you're not familiar with this text of scripture, you might want to, when you leave here sometime during the week, read chapter 27 and it's all, in all of its entirety. And there you'll discover Rebecca's plan for her son, Jacob, who was the favorite son, uh, to rip off his brother, who was the older brother, uh, his, uh, the patriarchal blessing and what that represented. And we talked a lot about that uh, last time in last service. And also, as Phil mentioned, you can go back to our website and just click on the online audio prompt and it'll take you to oneplace.com where that message was archived, as is all of the other messages that we share here. And then you can listen to it. It'll kind of just bring you right up to speed, right up to the present uh, study that we're, uh, and text that we're treating. So it was quite a plan that they perpetrated, right? And uh, deceiving their father, Isaac, who at the, this particular time, according to chapter 27, was legally blind. And so uh, anyway, uh, listen to that message if you can. Okay, so with that said, that sort of sets up our text. So Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he's escaping to his uncle Laban's uh, home because of the threat of his life. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar or a a memorial and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which literally means house of God, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. So once again, this message, the title is God's Ladder. Now let me begin this message by asking all of you a question. Is there anything that we can do anywhere that we can go where we can get away from God? And what's the answer to that question? Absolutely not. In fact, the 139th Psalm in verses 7 through 10, 
which, by the way, is a psalm that we've put uh, music to, and occasionally we sing it here as a part of our worship service. But in the 139th Psalm, in verses 7 through 10, and I believe that this addresses itself to this question that I've just raised, notice there beginning in verse 7. The psalmist declares, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And so the answer to that question is absolutely not. There's nothing you can do, nowhere that you can go to escape the presence of God. Well, Jacob here was about to find this truth out for himself. Now, with that said, and out of the way, let me ask you another question. Was Jacob initially looking for God? And the answer to that question is no. Remember, he's on the run. He's looking to escape. He's thinking about survival. Remember, his brother Esau swore a vow, made an oath, that as soon as his father Isaac died, because Jacob and Rebekah, who was in cahoots with uh, Jacob, ripped off uh, Esau from the patriarchal blessing, he swore a vow that as soon as Isaac died, he was going to take Jacob's life as well. So think about it. And remember, when we were first introduced to Jacob, and in comparison, we put Esau and Jacob alongside of one another, and I think we all came to the same conclusion. You know, Esau was a, a guy's kind of a guy. You know, someone who men would like to identify with. He was a hunter. He was a man of the field, right? And whereas Jacob was sort of a mama's boy, tied to his mother's apron strings. Every time we're introduced to him uh, in the previous verses, you know, he's in the kitchen, you know, cooking up a meal with his, with his mom, right? And so we, we took a look at both of these boys uh, in comparison. And so it's a matter of survival here. And Jacob, at this time, is tormented by fear. He's unprepared for this experience. I mean, think about it. Ahead was a great unknown. You know, again, he had never left his mother or father's house previously. So therefore, uh, looking ahead, he's facing a great unknown. And then behind, he has Esau, his brother, with murderous intent, in his heart. Notice in chapter 27 and verse 41, we're told exactly that. And he's probably thinking, as he's all alone, by the way, will I ever see my family again? Will I ever be able to come home again? Listen, I suppose that no one ever felt more alone and apprehensive than Jacob did that night. But the truth of the matter was, he was not alone. You see, God was with him, and God was about to reveal himself to him. In spite of himself, isn't that amazing? In spite of what he did, you know, ripping off his brothers, uh, the patriarchal blessing, deceiving his dad, uh, Isaac, who at that time had become uh, blind. Nevertheless, God appeared to him to reassure him of his presence. You know, talk about the grace of God. You would have thought that at this point, Jacob would have forfeited, you know, God even being interested in him because of what he had done. But that's not the God that I know, and that's not the God that I serve. You know, he's the God of the second 
chance and the third chance and the fourth chance, and it goes on and on and on and on. God is concerned about uh, you. And so God appeared to Jacob to reassure him of his presence. Now, here's what we take away from all of this. God is with you. No matter what your situation may be, no matter what you're facing in your life's experience, you may be facing a mental breakdown right now. I mean, things have gotten really bad. Maybe you've become ill. Maybe you've become sick. Maybe you've just got the, uh, the call from your doctor's office with the results of your annual physical, and it didn't go well. Maybe you feel as if you've been abandoned. Maybe something of your own making, and people don't want to uh, be there for you any longer. Maybe you feel abandoned. You're all alone. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're misunderstood. Maybe things have worked out where you've become discovered. I mean, you fill in the blank. You know exactly what's going on within your life, and here's the good news. God does as well. You may have so little self-worth that you feel as if no one cares. No one will be there for you, will ever care for you again. Why? Because you blew it, as did Jacob. Blew it big time. You may be listening to that old Yiddish proverb. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. If one man calls you a donkey, putting it mildly, by the way, donkey, get it? Donkey, you know? You know what I'm, okay. <laughs> pay him no mind. If two men call you a donkey, pay him no mind. But if three men call you a donkey, you better buy yourself a saddle. Did you like that? You didn't like that. Okay, I tried the best I could. Listen, there may be some of us that have already bought the saddle, and you know, in fact, that you are a donkey because of the things that you have done. Listen, I want you to hear God speaking especially to you today, and here's the good news. There is a ladder to heaven. And so back to the story. With that said, that sort of sets the stage and the platform for this message. Back to the story. Jacob, after leaving Bathsheba, right, fleeing, traveling, traveling along a trade route north, then he turns east over the northern edge of the great desert, heading towards the city of Haran, where his uncle Laban was. Uh, it was a journey 500 miles in all. Presently, Jacob has only traveled about 50 miles, so that would have probably been the equivalent of a second day's journey. And then all of a sudden, he comes to this place that we are told to Bethel, which again, as I mentioned in opening, is literally translated house of God. Now, we're familiar with this particular location as we've been considering and studying the life of Abraham, who happens to be Jacob's grandfather. For Abraham, it was his place of worship. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 4. It was there where Abraham had already built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord, according to those two cross-references that I had just given you. And we're not quite sure 
if Jacob ever knew or even realized that his grandfather Abraham had ever come to that location previously to his own experience. But nevertheless, here, there he is. And notice also, according to our text, in verse 11, Jacob arrives at dusk. He puts a stone under his head for a pillow. And, you know, some Bible commentators have suggested that one of those stones was actually one of the stones that Abraham used in building his altar and there worshiped God. And, but we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us that, so I'm sort of reading into the, the text here. But it's an interesting uh, idea, and it is possible, maybe even plausible. But anyway, he puts a stone under his head for a pillow and then eventually falls asleep. If you think about it, literally, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Okay, all right, what can I tell you? But notice, before falling asleep, Jacob looking up into that starry desert sky, and he's thinking to himself, God is out there. I know that God is my help, but the problem, how can I reach him? And it was that very thought that was planted into his subconscious that facilitated the dream that is recorded for us there in ver- beginning in verse 12. And uh, I, now I don't know, have you ever been in the desert? And, and this is hard in New York because of all of the lights and stuff. It's hard to see a, a sky that's filled with stars living in Manhattan because of all of the, the lights and Broadway and, you know. Uh, but if you ever get out, like, for example, once a year, our staff travels out to the Southwest Pastors Conference, the Calvary Chapel Southwest Pastors Conference in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh, man, it is awesome out there. And i got to tell you something. I, I'm, my breath is taken away on some nights. And, uh, you know, the stars in the sky, and, and they're so easy to be seen when you're out in the middle of the, of the desert. And so, and and you just feel very close to God, and you just sense the expanse of God's creation, you know, and all of the stars. Patty, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Patty's one of the guys that always comes along with us when we attend that annual conference. So Jacob is looking up into that starry desert sky, and he's thinking, I know that God is out there, just considering the expanse of, of the universe, God's creation. And he's saying to himself, God is out there. And I know that God is my help. But the problem, how can I reach him? And then, as I've already suggested, it was that thought that was planted into his subconscious that facilitated this dream that begins and is recorded for us there in verse 12. A great stairway or a ladder resting on the earth, but notice stretching up into the heavens. And the angels of God are ascending and descending upon it. Now, these angels, think about what these angels really are all about. Well, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 and verse 14, for example, we are told that they are ministering spirits sent to those who would inherit salvation. And so I believe that there are actually angels that have been assigned personally to you, to your care, and protection, and I believe that. 
And I honestly also believe that one day when we actually enter into heaven, there's a possibility that we may be even introduced to those enemies. We've talked about this before. Refer to them any way that you want, or guardian angels or whatever. But uh, I think we're really going to be amazed. And as we have these conversations with these angels, they're going to tell us, hey, Mike, you know the time when you were up on 56th Street late at night and uh, you were uh, walking back to your car from the old Harvest Christian Fellowship? And you know what? If you would have turned the other corner there was a group of guys that would have mugged you or whatever. And, uh, and he said, but I was there, and I, and I directed you in the other way. You went the longer way, didn't you? And how do you think that played out? Well, I was there, and I was orchestrating all of the details. I was pushing all of the buttons, pulling all of the strings, protecting you, watching out over you. And so that's, at least in part, that's what the angels are all about. Remember, he says he'll give us... His angels charge over us lest we dash our foot against the rock, the psalmist tells us. And so these angels are ministering spirits. And Jacob saw a host of them that night and thus was assured by them and by God that he was not alone, but rather he was under God's protection. But you know what? It was the word that God had spoken to Jacob, which is recorded first in verses 13 through 15, which is in the form of a blessing that brought the most comfort to Jacob. And so the rest of our time is going to be spent on examining that blessing that God had spoken to Jacob. And notice it was the, it was the same blessing that God gave to Abraham. Now, let's go back. Is that okay? And let's quickly read it again. Let me read it for you, verses 13 through 15, and then we're going to break it down for you. We're going to look at the way that it ministered to Jacob, but then we're more interested in this blessing that God promised uh, Jacob is the very same blessing that he promises you and I because we are one of God's children as well. And then we're going to think about the way that it applies to you and to me. We want to bring it down to personal terms. Well, I want you to leave here encouraged and strengthened and challenged in your relationship with God. And so, verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Which, by the way, is a prophetical announcement if you think about it, right? In other words, it was through his line that ultimately would come the Savior, Christ our, our Lord. Behold, I am with you, verse 15, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. 
When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here, with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts, that's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time, here, in my Father's house. <laughs>